The last verse in our passage today, Philippians 4.13, is one of today the best known verses in the entire Bible, which I'm sure is the result of its promotion by so many professional athletes. Evander Holyfield had it on the waistband of his boxing shorts. Tim Tebow had it on his eye black. Fighter John Jones has it tattooed on his chest, as do I. (laughs) And Steph Curry has it printed on his shoes. This verse also, probably for the same reasons, is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. But Lord willing, toward the end of this sermon, we'll get it right together. Paul basically says three things in verses 10 through 13, and here they are. Number one, Paul is grateful for the Philippians' generosity. It's in verse 10. Two, Paul is not expecting more Philippian generosity. It's verse 11. And three, Paul has learned the secret of contentment. That's in verses 12 through 13. So those are basically the three things that Paul says in this passage. And then here is how Paul relates those three things to one another. I'll just add a couple words. Paul is grateful for the Philippians' generosity, but Paul is not expecting more Philippian generosity because Paul has learned the secret of contentment. Are you content today? Are you content in your life? Are you content in your home? Are you content with your family? Are you content in your job, in your marriage? Are you content in your church? Are you content with your circumstances? Are you content in your suffering? Are you content in your sickness? Contentment is a state of mind that many of us find elusive. It's hard to attain. And so let's look at God's word this morning and see if by his grace we can discover with Paul the secret of this contentment. Before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Will you please bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for this time to read your word together. We need your help understanding your word. We need help applying your word. We know that our minds will be dark without you. We know that our hearts will be cold without you, not feeling the affection for you that we should. So would you send your Holy Spirit now and give us the light we need and the heat we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. If you're using one of the church Bibles that we provide under the seat in front of you, you'll find this chapter on page 637. Let me read 
the text in its entirety one more time before we begin Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. This is the word of God. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Amen. Number one, Paul is grateful for the Philippians' generosity. That is the first thing Paul says in this passage, and we find it in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul's been blessed by this church. While others stopped praying, this church kept on praying. When others stopped sending people to encourage him, this church did not stop sending people to him. When others stopped supporting him with finances and practical help, the Philippians kept supporting him. Philippians 4.18 I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul expressed this gratitude for the Philippians in the first few sentences of this letter in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God always in every prayer of mine for you all because, verse 5, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They are still partnering with Paul, and he's grateful. But now that he says that, that he's grateful for the Philippians' generosity, Paul wants to make sure there isn't a misunderstanding. And this brings us to the second thing Paul says. Number two, Paul is not expecting more Philippian generosity. Paul is grateful for the Philippians' generosity, but he's not expecting more of it. He's not saying, and this is what he means to clarify now, he's not saying, thank you for sending all that money. Please send more of it. That's not what he says. Here's a quote from Don Carson on this verse. Some people voice their thanks in such a way that it is hard to avoid the inference that they are hoping for another gift. Perhaps they grovel, perhaps there is nothing tangible in their thanks that you can put your finger on, but you feel slightly manipulated anyway. Once in a while, a missionary prayer letter sounds this way. Very often, the thank you letters from nonprofit organizations sound this way. Have you ever received a letter of gratitude like that? If it, thank you for your gift. If it wasn't for your gift, we would not be able to survive as an organization. So, if I don't send another gift, you die. 
the organization collapses, or, or this is hard, if it wasn't for your gift, this village would not have fresh water. You feel like you've got to send something else or there's going to be a poor village with no water. That's not what Paul is doing here. He's not trying to guilt the Philippians into more gifts. This is why he says in verse 11, not, right after thanking them, not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So Paul is saying, I appreciate your gifts. I am so grateful for your gifts, but I want you to remember whether you send more support or not, I'm good. That's what he's saying in verse 11. Whether you send more support or not, I'm good, I'm okay, and I'm okay because, he says at the end of verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content Which leads to our third point this morning, number three. Paul has learned the secret of contentment. Here again is a summary of what Paul is saying in these verses, verses 10 through 13. Paul is grateful for the Philippians' generosity, but he does not expect more of it. In fact, he doesn't need more of it because he's content. And Paul is content because he has learned to be content. In fact, he says he has learned the secret of contentment. The secret of contentment. He says all that and more in verses 11 through 13. Let's read those verses again. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So this is where I'd like to spend the the rest of our time together. This third point, that Paul has learned the secret of contentment. It'll be easy for us to spend the rest of our time here because Paul packs these verses with truth. We could spend weeks. We could really spend weeks thinking about this text. In fact, Thomas Watson in the 17th century wrote an entire book called The, Divine, the Art of Divine Contentment, which is a 200-page exposition of just verse 11. So we could talk about these verses and what they teach us about contentment for weeks. But Paul says at least four things here regarding contentment. Here they are. Uh, there's, There's more things we could pull out of this text. But here are four things that Paul says about contentment. And then we're going to think about them one at a time. Number one, contentment is commanded. Number two, contentment is learned. Number three, contentment is not helped by favorable circumstances. And number four, the secret of contentment is, and I won't say the rest of that yet. You might leave. 
Number one, contentment is commanded. Does Paul say that here? Does God's word teach this? Contentment is commanded. God wants his people to be content. If you're a Christian here today, God wants you to be content. This is why Paul says what he says here. To encourage contentment in the Philippians and to encourage contentment in you and in me. Remember, Paul is commending himself as an example. It's one of the things he's doing in this letter that he's made clear. He's commending himself as an example to the Philippians and to us. He does that throughout the entire letter. And he says in verse 11, I, commending himself as an example, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And because Paul is an example from God set before us, we also must be content. Other verses tell us the same thing. Like Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. And 2 Corinthians 12, 10 says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Paul says, I am content in all those things. He's our example. And finally, listen to 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food, and clothing with these, we will be content. The Greek word that Paul uses, content, it means self-sufficient or independent. Biblically speaking, if, if someone is content, there is an abiding peace or happiness that is not Dependent on people or circumstances. So contentment, when Paul wrote about contentment, that was something that everybody wanted. It was considered a high virtue where you can be, and their idea was self-sufficient. I don't need anybody. I'm totally independent. I'm totally self-sufficient. This is a high value in our culture today. Biblically, the way the word is used is Christ-sufficient. In other words, to be content is to have abiding peace in your life, abiding happiness in your life that is not dependent on people or circumstances. So no matter what people are doing around you, no matter what circumstances are doing around you, you have an abiding peace, there's an abiding happiness. If that's the case, you are Content. And that contentment, that state of mind, that abiding peace and happiness that is not dependent on circumstances is commanded by God. We must be that. We must be content. Number two, contentment is learned. Paul says that twice. Look with me at verse 11 and verse 12. 
Not that I am speaking of being in need, for, what does he say? I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's what this means. Contentment does not come naturally for us. Not even as Christians. It's not as if you are saved by God and then made content. It takes time. You and I must be committed to our growth in it. We must learn contentment. Now let me ask you. Aren't you encouraged to read that even Paul had to learn contentment? But that's encouraging to me. I mean, Paul's, he's the example. Paul's the greatest Christian who ever lived, I would say. Paul was an amazing man of God. Half the New Testament written by Paul. A leader in the first church. We look up to Paul. We admire Paul. He is an example to us. He says himself in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me. Who can say that? He says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Look at me and how I think and how I talk and how I live. I'm after Christ. And emulate that and imitate that. And even Paul says he had to learn contentment. It's not like God saved him and part of the package was contentment. It just happened. A switch just gets flipped. No, even the great Apostle Paul had to learn contentment. That's that's good for me to hear. Have you ever felt guilty for being discontent? You feel discontented in this world? And then you feel guilty about being discontent. Here you are, a Christian. You've been saved by God. You've been adopted into His family. You have been blessed by Him. You've had your every need provided for. And yet, you're discontent with something. Something, some little thing. You and I find it and it's not quite right. It's not what I want. And I'm discontent. Have you ever felt that way? And you think, what's wrong with me? What is wrong with me? How can I be given so much by God and still find something to complain about? How can I be discontent in the situation of my life when I've been saved by God and brought into His family and promised an inheritance and I'm going to live forever with Him in glory and yet here I am, discontent. How can I... Can I be like that? It's because contentment does not come naturally. It is elusive. It is as elusive today as it was in the 1600s when Jeremiah Burroughs titled his classic work The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's a rare jewel. I couldn't come up here and preach a sermon called Five Steps to Contentment. It's just not that easy. You want things to be that easy. 
I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to sermons like that. I'm never helped by sermons like that, but I'm attracted to sermons like that. It sounds good. Tell me, five, so I, I walk in discontent and I walk out content. I walk in not understanding how to manage my finances. I walk out knowing how to manage my finances. I walk in unsuccessful. I walk out successful. I walk in, my family's messed up. I walk out, my family's amazing, right? Steps to this, steps to that. It, is, it, is, it doesn't work like that with anything. It certainly doesn't work like that with contentment. Contentment is a rare jewel. It is a fight to be content. It is a battle to be content. And sometimes for you, the, the battles to be content are momentary, and sometimes they are abiding because contentment must be learned. You'll be learning this as long as you live. Number three. Contentment is not helped by favorable circumstances. Think about this with me. That is the lie, isn't it? That contentment is helped. By favorable circumstances. Isn't that the lie? Isn't that the deep, dirty, dark lie that I believe? If this situation were different, I'd be content. If this person was different, I'd be content. The situation's the problem. The person's the problem. The home's the problem. The job's the problem. The child's the problem. The spouse is the problem. The neighbor's the problem. The life is the problem. If that were different, I'd be content. Haven't you ever said things to yourself like, once I have this, I'll be content. Once this changes, I'll be content. If I only had that, I'd be content. I mean, fill in the blank. What has it been for you? What is it for you? This is not what Paul says. Contentment is not helped by favorable circumstances. Listen to Paul in verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, he says some strange things there. Some of it's not strange, and some of it is strange. Some of it makes sense, and some of it doesn't initially. In other words, when I, when I read this, and in my mind, I come to this thinking, here's how contentment works. Circumstances change, and I get content. They don't change, and I'm not content. I don't have a lot of money, I'm discontent. I get more money, I'm content. I don't have the things I need, I'm discontent. I get the things I need, I'm content. I don't have things I want, I'm discontent. I get the things I want, I'm content. The relationship's not what I wish it was. I'm discontent. The relationship gets fixed, I'm content. That's how I think when I come to this passage. And yet, Paul says something like, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Now, why does he say, I've learned the secret of facing plenty? What's the secret to that? That's what you want. There's no secret to it. Plenty, good. Abundance, good. Need, bad. Hunger, bad. That's not what Paul says. 
He says, I've learned the secret to being content when I have plenty and when I have hunger. So when I hear that, I think, what do you mean a secret to being content when you have plenty? What do you mean the secret to being content when you have abundance? Aren't you just content when you have plenty? Aren't you just content when there is abundance? No. That's not the case. The reality is contentment is not helped by favorable circumstances. That's not the answer. So do you hear what Paul is saying? Think about this with me. He had to learn to be content when he was brought low and when he abounded. He had to learn how to be content in the face of hunger and in the face of abundance. He had to learn to be content, what does he say? In any and every circumstance. In other words, abundance did not bring contentment. Plenty did not bring contentment. Abounding did not bring contentment. Paul had to learn to be content in poverty and in plenty. Riches are not the way to contentment. Possessions are not the way to contentment. Favorable circumstances are not the way to contentment. Paul is telling us that his circumstances when it comes to contentment, don't matter. They don't add to his contentment. They don't take away from his contentment. I think this is why Paul uses the word secret. Or mystery is what the word means. He uses this word secret or mystery when talking about contentment because you don't get it the way you think you'd get it. It's mysterious in that way. There's a secret to it in that way. It doesn't happen the way you think. It's deeper than that. It's more mysterious than that. Contentment is not helped by favorable circumstances. Contentment is not helped by manipulating your circumstances. Okay. So what's the secret, Paul? So that's not it. What is it? How do we learn the divine art of contentment? He gives a secret in verse 13. So let me read it in context with verse 12. But verse 13 is going to be the secret of contentment. Beginning in verse 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And now here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's always the problem when we take a verse and make it an island and separate it by oceans from the other verses around it, we lose its meaning. This is the the land that Philippians 4.13 is a part of. 
This is what it is connected to. What is Paul talking about when he gets to verse 13? He's talking about contentment. He's talking about his struggle for contentment and how he's had to learn to be content. And then he tells them, I'm I'm good whether you support me or send me more gifts or not because I have learned to be content. I've learned the secret to be content. And it is this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So let me say a few things that Philippians 4.13 doesn't mean. And I thought about going off here for about 20 minutes and decided that would not be helpful. But if you want to come up afterwards, I had many funny things go through my head that I'm going to spare you from in a sermon. It wouldn't be appropriate, but... But here are some things that Philippians 4.13 doesn't mean. When, When Paul says he can do... All things through Christ, he doesn't mean pummel Mike Tyson. When Evander Holyfield has Philippians 4.13 on the the belt of his shorts, it it doesn't mean, Philippians 4.13, that he can win the boxing match. It doesn't mean, Paul doesn't mean score a touchdown. Paul doesn't mean become league MVP. He doesn't mean, this is what most people I think mean today, He doesn't mean you can do anything you set your mind to through Christ. That's not what this verse means. It doesn't mean you can ace a test you didn't study for. (laughs) That's when the verse gets quoted by Christians. Walking to class, forgetting they had a big exam today, and then being encouraged, your friend texts them, hey, don't worry about it, Philippians 4.13. That's right. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you're praying on the way to class. Christ strengthened me to do well on this test that I didn't study for. Good luck with that. No. That is not what Paul means when he says Philippians 4.13. When Paul says he can do all things through Christ... He means that he can be content no matter where God has him. The all things, right, what's the all things? But that's one of the places we can get in trouble with this verse. What is the context? What does Paul mean when he says all things? The all things, look with me at the text. The all things is looking back back to the in any and every circumstance of verse 12. The every situation of verse 11. That's the context. Anywhere God puts him, he can be content. That's what Paul is saying. Anything God sends my way... I can be content. Anything God has him do, he can be content. Plenty? Content. Poverty? Content. Abundance? Content. Need? Content. He can do all things through Christ. Whatever God has for him. Whatever the season is. 
wherever God's put them. Whatever God's given him to do. Maybe it's a season of plenty for him. Maybe it's a season of plenty for you. Paul knew how to face plenty. He knew how to face abundance. There are traps. And there are temptations when your circumstances are good. It's very easy to stop relying on Christ. It's very easy to become content in all the stuff you have. It's very easy to grow content in everything going the way that you would want it to go. And if your contentment's in that, your contentment's not where it needs to be. It's not in God. And so there's something to learn there. There's something to grow in there. There's something to face. Or maybe your season is poverty. Maybe that's not the situation. Maybe your life is not going the way that you had hoped. Maybe your marriage is not what you dreamed it would be when you were little. Maybe your family doesn't look the way that you thought it would look. Maybe your church does not meet your needs and your desires the way you hoped it would. Maybe you don't have the friends that you wish you had. Maybe you come home every day from your job and you say, I know it's a good job and I know it provides for our family and I know it meets needs and it it, it feeds you, but I hate it. I can't stand it. I I don't want to go back another day, but I don't know what else I can do. I'm not qualified to do anything else. I'm discontent. Those are tough things to face. But Paul says he learned the secret to face all of it. No matter where God had him, no matter what circumstances, no matter what God brought his way. He can do all things. How? Through Christ. What's the secret, Paul? Number four. The secret of contentment is knowing Christ. The secret of contentment is knowing Christ. This is what Paul means when he says, I can do all things, I can face all things through Him, that's Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. The secret of contentment is knowing Christ. William Barclay He wrote a little book called The Secret of Contentment. And he says this. The contented Christian is the one who knows Christ, but has a restless pursuit to know him more. And that was put another way by Jeremiah Burroughs in that book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, where he said, The contented Christian is the most contented man in the world And yet, the most unsatisfied man in the world because he wants to know more of Christ. This is the secret of contentment. It is knowing Christ. When Paul says he can do all things, he can be content through Christ. You've got to remember this whole letter that he's written about his relationship with Christ. And what it means for him to say things like, I'm doing this or I'm doing that through Christ. 
Let me show you one passage. Look back, if you have your Bibles open, at chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. If you don't, you can listen. But, but he just said this in his letter a few minutes before he says what we're reading today. And I want you to hear the discontentment in these verses. He, he doesn't know Christ as much as he wants to know Christ. And he's driven to know Christ more and more. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If nothing else, Paul wants to know Christ. He has made that crystal clear in this letter to the Philippians. Paul wants to know Christ. And it is through, Christian, it is through knowing Christ and His strength that you can do all things. That you can do all things He has called you to do. Paul knows Christ. And he's pressing on, he says, he's straining forward to know Him more. Now, when you know Christ, and I know many of you do, when, when you know Christ, we're talking about relationship here. Not knowing about Him, but when you know Christ and when you are pressing on to know Christ more, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are able to rest in His providence and His provision. Contentment. Through your relationship with Christ, knowing Him, seeking to know Him more, you then and only then are enabled to be content in all things God would bring your way. Tim Tebow actually gets it right. I love Tim Tebow. Good for Tim Tebow. Here's what he said in a 2009 interview with BP Sports. He said, a lot of people know Philippians 4.13. He used to wear it on his eye black. A lot of people know Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But a lot of people don't interpret that verse the right way. So I heard him say that and felt the same way and wanted to see what he said. Here's what he said. Most people think it means I can do anything on the football field or I can make a lot of money. But that's not exactly what it's talking about there. It's saying I can be content with anything. When you're a Christian, you can be content because God has put you where you are. 
that's really a different view. I know that I have Christ in me, so I can do whatever, and I love what he says here, he wants me to do, and that's how I approach everything. Good for Tim Tebow. I can do, how does he, how does he qualify all things? Whatever he wants me to do, and wherever God has put me. That's exactly right. It's not a verse to just apply to whatever it is that you and I want to do. It's where God has me. It's what He's called me to do. It's the circumstances that He has put into my life. Now let me ask you a question that He seems to get. I want you to get. Which circumstances in your life are from the hand of God? All of them. Every single circumstance. There is not a detail in your life that is unattended to. God has not dropped the ball or looked the other way with a second in your life. Every moment, every moment is part of God's plan. And a part of His sovereign will for your life. And you can be content in all those circumstances if you know Christ and know that. Everything that comes your way, everything that threatens your joy, that threatens your contentment. Friends, have you grasped that all those things are from the hand of God and they are for your good? Everything that happens to you and around you is in accordance with God's providence which is the unfolding of His will and plan. This is so important. Paul knew it. He knew it through knowing Christ. And it enabled him to be content no matter what happened. He knew that the pleasure was from God and he knew that the pain was from God. He knew that his circumstances were from God. He knew that the condition he was in was preordained by God. He knew as he sat in that prison cell, and wrote that letter to the Philippians awaiting his execution, that he was there, if nothing else, because God wanted him there and had a plan to use it for Paul's good and God's glory. This is exactly what Romans 8.28 says. And we know, who's we? Christians, you and I. We know that for those who love God, Christian, do you love God? For those who love God, all things, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. In conclusion, as we think about Paul's words, as we think about this secret of contentment, this secret, this mystery that is knowing Christ that enables us to have an abiding peace 
no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we have to ask ourselves questions. We have to ask questions and really think about them. Questions like, am I content? Am I content today? Or not? And maybe there's another question. If I am content, am I content in Christ? Now that one will sweep up a lot of 21st century American Christians. Some of you are not content. So when you ask that question, you're confronted right there. And you're driven to Paul's words here. And you know you need to know Christ and you need to pursue Christ and you need to press on and you need to strain forward. Remember his plan and his providence in your life that you may be content. But some of you, when you ask yourself the question, many today in our fairly affluent and comfortable day, when asked the question, are you content? Many of you would say yes. But if you ask another question, is your contentment in Christ? The answer may not be yes. My contentment's in my job and my home and my cars and money in the bank and retirement savings and my, my ministry, the, the stuff that I do and my reputation and uh, my family and my wife, and my, my kids and friends and, and neighbors. And no complaint here. God's been very good to me. I've, life is going well. You have a question to ask yourself, don't you? Is your contentment then in Christ? At the end of the day, what is the foundation beneath that abiding peace and happiness that you have? Do you ever do exercises like this? Do you sit down and close your eyes and imagine, what if I lost everything? What if I lost everything? What if my family left? What if I lost my job? What if my home burned down? What if I lost my possessions? What if things went down the tank on a global scale? We lost our freedom in this country. Where's my contentment? Why am I at peace? Why am I happy? Why am I cheerful? What is it rooted in? For some of you, you need to grow content because you're discontent with the things in your life and you need to know Christ. For others, that which you are content in needs to shift from the things of this world to Jesus Christ. And He alone needs to be your ultimate source of contentment. How do I do that? With Paul, you learn contentment. You learn contentment. You remember that the secret to contentment is not your stuff. It's not your possessions. It's not your circumstances. The secret to contentment is knowing Christ. So know Christ. If you don't know Him this morning, come to know Him. If you do not believe Him this morning, believe Him this morning. If you have not turned from your sin and relying on yourself for this life and your eternity, repent from that. Turn away from that. Stop relying on yourself. Stop 
running from God and run to Him and turn to Him. Start trusting Him. Place your faith in Him. Find your contentment in Him. That's Paul's exhortation for us, that we would be content in Christ who strengthens us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, for those of us this morning who are not content, who are disappointed, discouraged, upset, angry, and irritated by the circumstances in our life, would you remind us that your hand for good purposes is behind those circumstances There may also be evil plans, there surely is, and an evil enemy behind many of our circumstances. But we know that, well, he's ruled by you, God. And we know that he cannot even torment us without your permission. So God, help us to remember that that while we make our plans, you direct our steps. And those things we're upset with, irritated and angry about and discontent, they're from your hand and they're from our good. God, for others who are here this morning and they may have a superficial contentment in the things of this world and have no reason, have had no reason to really think about deeper truth, God, I pray that you would, if this is the case, that you'd make it clear to them right now that their contentment is a house of cards. And that it is sure to fall as soon as circumstances change. And it's only a matter of time before they're desperate. And God, we ask you would help us, if that is the case, to shift our contentment from the things of this world to you. That our joy, that our peace, that our contentment would be built on rock. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.